English Standard Version translation. Here's what God's word says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Please be seated. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we do come this morning grateful for your word. We thank you that you have given your word to us as a precious gift. We thank you for its authority because it is a word from you. It is not generated by man, though you used men to write it on paper, but it is from you and therefore it carries the gravity of our God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. We thank you, Lord, that it is a necessary word, therefore, because it is from you, we dare not ignore it. We must receive it and and read it and hear it and understand it. Therefore, Lord, we appeal to you, grant us understanding and grant us grace to submit to you and therefore to your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is also sufficient, that you have not given us part of the instructions we need for this life and then have concealed others that we might try to guess at what we should do or how we should live, but that you have given us in your word that which is the guidance we need to come to you, and that by faith in you, through your Son, the Lord Jesus, we are able to live lives as you would have us to live them. You have not left anything out that we need. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is clear, that you have written it in a language that we can understand, that indeed it is a word that even little children can grasp, and yet sometimes well-educated scholars fail to capture its meaning. So, Lord, we come to you this morning asking for your grace that you would open our hearts to understand and our lives to be yielded in obedience to your word, to you, because of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. There have been a lot of unfortunate deaths recently because of water, people drowning 
Water deaths occur a lot this year, and there have been a number in this area, perhaps an extraordinary number, even some just recently this past week. But there is more danger from water than, from, than, than merely from drowning. Several years ago, back in the early 90s, a young man by the name of Chris McCandless went on a hike in Alaska. He wanted to go out and uh, live on his own and live off the land, so to speak. And uh, what occurred to him became a best-selling book by John Krakauer called Into the Wild, and even a movie was made on it. As he hiked out and, and uh, began to live out there, he, he began to notice he wasn't faring very well, and he decided to return back and get back into civilization where he could become better nourished. But as he attempted to get back to civilization, he found that a river that he had crossed to get where he had gone had swelled tremendously, and that that river would not allow him to get back, as best he could tell, to where he needed to go. So he retreated to this bus, an abandoned bus in Alaska, where he would live out his days and would be found by hunters some time later deceased in his sleeping bag. He wasn't drowned, but he was held captive, if you will, by the waters. I say that this morning because the story I've just read involves another man who was held captive by waters. He and several other people were at a place in Jerusalem called Bethesda. And as the scriptures unfold before us, we read that it was a time of a festival of the Jews. And the Lord Jesus went up to Jerusalem, probably from his home in Galilee. And as he went to Jerusalem, he enjoined the throngs that would have been coming to this festival. We don't know which one it was. But it would have involved a lot of people coming there to come and worship the Lord at the temple. And as they came, they would have been meeting up with fellow worshipers, some, in some cases traveling with family members who went with them, neighbors. Other times, maybe catching up with family members or loved ones that they would only meet when they went to festivals in Jerusalem. Indeed, it was a festival that would be festive, a, a very enjoyable and celebratory time. Except there were some people who weren't enjoying and celebrating at all. And it was to those people that Jesus went. Those people at the pool of Bethesda. This pool was actually not far at all from the temple. It was almost literally a stone's throw. Just a little ways north of the temple grounds. And yet there was in this place a pool. And in this pool there was water that every once in a while would be stirred up somehow. Verse 4, which is, uh, if you have an ESV or most of the modern translations, it will not have verse 4 in there. Some of the older translations have verse 4, but the very oldest manuscripts they found don't have it, which is why it's not in the current translations. But it describes that, that, there were, uh, that waters were being stirred up and that people would go in to get into the, the pool. The first one in would get healed and everybody else would be out of luck. Now, even without verse 4, though, we know from the description of, of other verses that this man that the Lord focuses upon was waiting for the waters to be stirred up. He was waiting to be the first one in the pool and hopes of being healed. So even without verse 4, we know what's going on. He's waiting for the stirring of the waters. Scripture shows that as the Lord came to this place, he found a multitude of people that were there. And as he was at this place with this multitude of people, we find that there was a cautionary tale unfolding. 
It was a story that we have just read that shows that there was a certain captivity, just as a, a Chris McCandless was captured by the rivers. These people were captured, but in a different way, by these waters as well. For they had come to fix their hope on the stirring of these waters. They were in Jerusalem, where the temple was, where God could be sought. And in their midst that day stood Jesus Christ, who had been sought by multitudes of people that they might encounter and experience his healing and hear his words. And yet as he walked into this multitude that day, they didn't even know who he was. Let's look for these next few moments as the Lord grants us the grace to do so to see something about this cautionary tale. But it's also a grace-filled story. And it culminates with some instruction that will benefit even God's people today. So far as we look, notice that this man, it tells us, had had a disabling condition for 38 years. Verse 5 tells us that he had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, he was there, but he wasn't the only one. Scripture tells us back in verse 3, there was a multitude of invalids. Some were blind, some were lame, and some were paralyzed. Some couldn't see, therefore, some of them were able to move, but with difficulty, and some couldn't move at all. And they were all gathered around these pools, hoping that when the water became turbulent, somebody could get in, one of them could get healed. But on that day, it hadn't been working out very well for the people that were there. This man, after 38 years, was still an invalid. The others who were part of this multitude hadn't been healed either. And yet they were at this place. We can only imagine how it must have unfolded for them. We don't know exactly, but we can know this. Somewhere in their lives, maybe they were born with it or something happened, they had this disabling condition enter their lives. Looking for some kind of a solution or answer, the word about this pool came to be known to them. So they, they went to this pool, probably with hopes. And as they went to this pool, they went back day after day after day after day. Some perhaps stayed there all the time. It was a canopy-covered pool. There was a walkway around the pool, and this, the, the walkways were covered with canopies. There were five canopies. And then there was plenty of room for this multitude to stay in out of the rain, out of the snow, out of the sunshine. So they could stay there if they had the, the warmth of a, of a blanket to wear in the wintertime. So this, this thing that had begun with hope became a habit after a while. And that habit then, after going there repeatedly, could begin to to change into something else altogether, it could become almost a sense of fate, of depressing fate. And as they were gathered in this place, here comes the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't even know who he is. It's interesting to notice that when the Lord approached this one man, knowing it says that he had been there a long time, The Lord begins by asking a question. He says, do you want to be healed? Now that might might sound like a strange answer, but one of the things that we can observe both from this text is that they had already been there for some time, and we can observe from human nature that sometimes when we get into habits, even very bad ones, we can become reluctant to change. You may have heard of this. I've heard of this phenomenon more than once. Somebody who was convicted of a crime and went to prison and served a lengthy prison sentence. Eventually, maybe after decades in prison, they're released. 
finally free, they go out and spend a week, two weeks, a month. Then they walk into a bank or somewhere, hand a teller a note and say, give me your money. Then they wait outside the bank for the police to come and pick them up. And because they have done that just to go back to jail, they didn't actually even have a gun, they wanted to go back to the life they knew because this freedom was not pleasing to them. It was frightening to them. And so it could have been the same dynamic there. For some reason, these people were not going elsewhere. I would suggest this morning that these same dynamics are not limited to the story we read about in this verses. That is that today there are similar stirred waters that can give people a source of hope at first. People who perceive problems, perhaps problems in society, perhaps problems in their own families, perhaps problems in their individual lives. And they hear of some remedy, some source of hope, some source of direction to which they can in turn and which they can invest their time and energies. And as they do so, that hope becomes habit and that habit becomes a sense of sagging destiny. And we see the same principle that occurred here. That happens far too often. Today there are people hoping in, to see effect change through social movements that they go out and invest their time and energies and, and with great zeal and they hope that that will bring about the solutions that are needed in this world. There are others that are going out in political movements. Every political cycle we hear the same kind of thing. Someone is running against the incumbent and they say the incumbent has failed you but I, I have these new ideas if you will but elect me, things will be better. The person then gets elected, displaces the incumbent. The next political cycle, a new person comes, and they run and they say, that person has failed you, and here are my ideas, and if you elect me, and so on, and so on, and so on. Not to say that there is never improvement or things getting worse here and there, but the fact is, that these kinds of things that people seek and to which they place their hopes so often fails. People look toward perhaps getting uh, money as their answer. People go out and play the lottery in hopes of getting a big windfall. But how many of us have read about the outcomes of many lottery winners whose lives have been miserable? The lottery didn't solve their problems. In some cases, it made it worse. Others have sought their satisfaction in, in relationships. They've sought it in uh, substances. They've sought it in experiences, in pleasures, in all kinds of things. And as they've done that, which seemed to hold out hope for improvement, they found it did not solve the problems for which they were trying to find an answer. Stirred waters are with us to this day. The same thing happens in churches there are some churches that will even say, look, we want to draw a crowd. How do we draw a crowd? We'll offer stirred waters. We'll offer things that are exciting, things that hold out promise or hope other than the gospel so that we can attract numbers and we'll get them and maybe they'll catch the gospel while they're here. But this, the gospel is not the hope that we offer, at least some of the churches that call themselves churches. I would pray that is not our condition that we hold out the hope of the gospel. You see, the thing about it that is so ironic is these people were seeking hope. They were seeking healing. And here is Jesus 
in their midst, and they don't even know who he is. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Why had they not sought him earlier? Surely there has, uh, the fame of the Lord had spread to Jerusalem by this time. Perhaps some of them had considered going to find him, but maybe they, because of their inability, they couldn't go find him. They were paralyzed, literally, or unable to see, literally, to travel to see him. Others maybe would have had the opportunity to arrange it if they had friends that could bring them or carry them or assist them. But if any of those were among this number, they had not chosen to do so, had they? For here they were, going about that which was their habit, relying upon the stirred waters as their solution, though none of them had yet received any benefit from those waters. My friends, I think each of us would do well to take the look at our own hearts this morning. In what or in whom are we placing our trust? Is our trust primarily going to be in the stirred waters that are in our age today? in these social movements, political movements, in pleasures, or the the things about which I spoke a moment ago? Or is possibly there hope to be found in the same one who was present with them that day? Not just hope that one day when you die you'll go to heaven, but hope for your problems today. Someone who has the power to come into life and by his authority and power to lead us to something which is better than we would provide for ourselves, or than the stirred waters in which we hope would provide for us. I submit that there is that one, and his name is as it was then, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, our Lord. The scripture tells us, not only thankfully, that this was a cautionary tale of warning about being held captive to stirred waters, but that there's was a story that involved much grace. For if the story had ended where I just read, that would be a depressing story indeed, would it not? People waiting for the stirring of waters while they continued to be sick. But we see the Lord Jesus instead after he asks this man, do you want to be healed? The man answers, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going down, another steps down before me. The man, by his answer, indicates he's been trying to get into the pool. So, in effect, he's saying to the Lord's answer, to the Lord's question, yes, I do want to get there. I've tried to get down there, but, but I can't get there. The same disability that has brought me here keeps me from getting into the pool. I am unable, and there's nobody to help me. I've looked around for others. The, if, if somebody else has been healed, they didn't stick around and help me. Anybody else who's here who is able-bodied, maybe they're blind, but, but, but they could, we could lean on each other. They're not helping me either. Nobody is able to help me or nowhere willing to help me. The Lord, upon seeing his condition, hearing his response, heals him. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. This, my friends, is an ultimate picture of grace. The man had no ability himself. He had no recourse to help him. He had no money to pay to the Lord. There's no indication that the Lord said, well, what will you give me in exchange for what I do for you? If the man had had the ability to pay someone, he probably would have already done it. The man had nothing to offer 
and the Lord did this. Notice a couple of things about that. First of all, the scripture tells us that the, the man didn't even ask. Notice there's nowhere in here where the, that says, the man says, will you help me into the water? He doesn't say, will you heal me? He wasn't going to do that because the second point is he didn't even know who Jesus was. It tells us that explicitly down in, in verse 13. Uh, it says the man who had been healed did not know who it was. And a third thing to notice is this was the only one the Lord healed. Scripture in verse 13 also tells us that the Lord had withdrawn because there was a crowd there. There's no mention of the Lord healing anyone before he got to this man at that place, nor of him healing anyone after he healed this man. A one-time, one-person healing in this crowd. All of grace for this one man. How can that be? All by the Lord's grace. My friends, this morning, if we think that we are different from this one man, I think the scripture will show us something very different, very very different from our thought. That is this, that just as that man did not have the ability to heal his own condition, and he would not get sufficient help from another human being, another person, so it is with us. If we are looking for help apart from the Lord, if we are looking for something by our own power or our own wisdom, by our own strength, or a group of people to to solve our ultimate problems, this is not going to help us. We need grace. We need God to intervene mercifully and graciously by his power, not because we can give him something because we have nothing that he needs, but by his own grace and mercy. I think of Genesis 3. Adam and Eve had sinned. They had disobeyed God. God had told them that in the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. And indeed, their death did begin, though it would take chronologically some time to be completed. Yet they were suffering the consequences of their sin. They tried to cover up their nakedness by putting together fig leaves. And then they heard the sound of God coming in the garden. The fig leaves were so ineffective that they went and hid because they considered themselves naked even though their fig leaves were on. shows you how effective man's solution to his sin is. It's as though he is still naked. And that's true. Our efforts to cover up our sinful condition are worthless. But as we would look at this word, we see that in Genesis 3, the Lord came and said, Where are you? Calling to Adam. It wasn't because he didn't know. He knew where Adam was. He was omniscient then, as he always has been. And he, but he, it, it called from Adam a response, a confession, not only of where he was, but of why and of what he had done. And in response to that and the ensuing conversation that unfolded with God and Adam, Eve, and, and God's declaration concerning the serpent, God then, in subsequent action, clothed them himself. He, he clothed them with the skin of an animal, which means for that animal to yield up its skin, the animal had to die. And in the death of that animal, which was used to cover the consequences of their sin, we see a prefiguring of the ultimate death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would, by his atoning sacrifice, pay the price for our sins, as many as are in Christ, and would cover us, cover up our sin, and cause us to be counted as righteous. And 
along with him, as Paul would write to the Romans, would, since he has given up his son for us, would he not also with him give us, gladly give us all things? That is that God has not merely said, you're forgiven, see you later. But that same God who provides forgiveness provides grace for our lives today as well. Which is the point here. That is that even as we are like this man, unable to provide that which we most deeply need, a gracious God is able to do so. And here's the good news. That just as the Lord Jesus was present that day, though they did not know who he was, he is present today as well in spirit. Yes, he is ascended into heaven. Yes, he will come one day. But he has sent his spirit so that today, spiritually, all around the world, the Lord Jesus is able to speak to the hearts of men, women, boys, girls, to call them to himself. And that just as this man could speak face to face with Jesus that day and be heard, we can speak to him just as surely, and he will hear us just as surely as that man heard him that day, and as he heard that man. The same Lord who was present then is present now, and his offer is an offer of grace. Don't fix your hope on stirred waters. Fix them on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another instructive thing about this, about what the Lord then did. Notice that not only did the Lord heal him, but notice what he said when he healed him. This is, I think, an important thing to note Scripture tells us that when uh, he said to him these words and he was healed, notice he doesn't say, you're healed. He doesn't say to him, you're well now. No, he'll say that later on in his subsequent meeting. He will tell him that he is well. But what the Lord tells him is, get up, take up your bed and walk. The Lord was healing him, and it was all by grace, all by God's power. But because he was now healed of his physical disability, he now needed to be healed of something else, his habits that had kept him at this pool for a long time. He was told to pick up this, to stand up. He had been lying down for a long time. The Lord got him on his feet. His bed had been holding him a long time. And the Lord told him to pick up his bed. That which had been holding him, he was now to hold. He had been still in this place for a long time. And the Lord told him to walk, to go somewhere else, to get away from there. You see, the Lord who had given him healing didn't just say, you're healed, see you later. Just stay there. The Lord who healed him, healed him for a purpose. He was to get up. He was to take up that bed. And he was to get out of that place. He was to walk now with a new life based on what God had done for him. This is a same principle, my friends, which is the principle by which every believer who has been healed and forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritually healed, forgiven of sins, made right with God, we are to do that as well. We are to get up from the old life that we lived. We are to take up that which held us before And now we have it by God's grace, and we are to walk in newness of life. Or as the Apostle Paul wrote, writing it to the church at Rome, 
He, he talked about how they were baptized with Jesus into his death. And by the glory of the Father, as says, the glory of the Father had raised Jesus so that the church was to be raised to walk in newness of life. That is that as people of God, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. Don't believe the lie that just because you have become a believer that you're still trapped in what you were doing before, the, that you cannot over, walk in freedom from those sinful habits, that you cannot walk in newness of life. Now, your life may in some ways remain the same. You may continue to live in the same residence, may have the same job. Your family is going to be the same family you had before in terms of earthly kinship. But the way that you live your life, the condition of your heart, the attitudes and views, the things that come from your heart through your mouth, the things that you let into your eyes, the things that you do with your hands, the places you go with your feet will be different because you've been made healed and new. And the Lord has said, get up, take up your bed and walk. That's what happened to that man. And it's what happens to God's people today. There's a beautiful picture because a little bit later on, the Lord encounters this man again, down in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. The man had figured it out by now, but the Lord reminds him, You are well. You have been cured. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Remember, this story started with Jesus going up to a feast, to a festival. This man was missing the festival he was off with a multitude of people sitting at the pool of Bethesda while another group of people were worshiping God up at the temple. Look where this man is now. He's at the house of God, the house of prayer for all nations. He's at the place of worship for God and no longer depending upon and setting his hope on those stirred waters. His sights have been lifted and he's looking to the face of a holy God, looking in the eyes of his Savior, Jesus and he's hearing it told to him, you are well. Don't keep sitting. That nothing worse happened to you. But what about all those other people? You know, we read that this, just this one man was healed that day. Just for a brief moment, I want to mention one other scripture. In Matthew chapter 21, we read about the Lord Jesus later on in his last week before his crucifixion. He had a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And after he entered Jerusalem, he went to this temple and he encountered money changers and people selling livestock. And he dumped over the money changers' tables and he drove out the people selling livestock, these cheaters. And he said, this shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. And Matthew twenty-one fourteen tells us that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. There was a better source in Jerusalem that stirred waters. There was Jesus. And the blind and the lame no longer had to sit at Bethesda and wait for somebody to come. Jesus was available and they sought him and he healed them. That's our hope today. The Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 17, Jesus said, My father is working until now and I am working. The great I am said that 2,000 years ago and it's a still as true today as it was when he said it. Amen. Jesus says, I am working. My friends, this morning, if your hope is in someone or something else 
other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Lift your eyes from that. Turn your eyes to Him. Place your faith in Him. Listen to His voice. This man was no longer known as the man who was unable to walk. He was now the man whom Jesus had healed. That same Lord will heal his people. Will you call upon him today? Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that at the pool of Bethesda, you sought those who would not and could not come to you. And Lord, just like those, so were we, that apart from your grace, we did not seek you. We were not interested in you, but you sought us. And as many as are here this morning who are in Christ, you caused us to be healed in our spirits by new birth. And we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, I would pray, therefore, you would grant us grace that even as we receive Jesus Christ the Lord, we would so walk in him that if any of us has been deluded to think that there is not newness of life into which we can walk, help us this morning to be disabused of that notion and to take up our bed and walk following the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I would pray this morning if there are those here who have not followed him, but who even today, having heard your word, would call out to him, who would be made whole through faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, grant them grace to cry out to him even today to follow this Lord who brings grace to heal and to bring newness of life. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We trust you, Lord. You are our hope alone, we pray. And we give you thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.